Appreciate Patricia Walker helping us out today. Didn't she do a nice job with our announcements? She's one of our elders. Yes, very good. For the record, Howard was applauding there, just so noted that. But uh, appreciate her. She's one of our elders and, uh, and brings uh, real class to what we do here in this church. And they're the ones, we mentioned before, that once a quarter just invite people over to their place for a special luncheon together on a Sabbath. And it's done a lot to find people who maybe were on the edge and bring them into new community and other folks around. So that's, that's a way that one family in our church is helping build loving relationships in this whole community. And I praise God for their leadership and for Patricia today getting up and doing that for us. So this backdrop is totally awesome, but unfortunately it's not just for the sermon. There is another purpose here. And if you wondered as you walked around why things looked a little funny today, Vacation Bible School begins on Monday. And it's going to be a big time. And in order for you to really get the feel for what this is like here, we're going to have to turn the lights down a little bit so you can see what this actually looks like when it's in its proper environment. Here we go, huh? How cool is that, right? Yeah. Now you all want to come to Vacation Bible School, don't you? Yeah. So it's going to be fun. And uh, what better for July in Florida than an Arctic theme, right? So there it is. So we'll all be cool in our minds anyway. So thank you all for your continuing prayers and uh, and uh, faithfulness to our family. Uh, as you know, Alicia uh, a few weeks ago shared that uh, she's been diagnosed uh, with breast cancer, and we're in that journey right now that many of you have been on, finding the way through. We had three appointments this week. Uh, we've got another one next week. The, the road is becoming clearer. Uh, we're still waiting on the results of, uh, of a test that we won't know at the earliest by next Friday, at the latest the Friday after, but uh, probably a surgery in the very near future. We'll keep you posted, but we appreciate your prayers uh, throughout this time. All right. So speaking of prayer, let's do that. Father in heaven, we pray that your spirit will be with us today that you will speak to us from your word, as you're going to convict our hearts where we need conviction, and encourage us where we need encouragement, and help us to be godly people who follow after your will. In Jesus' name, amen. So we begin with the text, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. There is a key premise that comes at the very beginning of today's frame that you must accept in order for it to make sense. Now, if, if frame doesn't sound familiar to you, I'll explain that in a minute. We're in a series called Frames. 
But what I want you to understand as we begin today is there is a key premise at the very beginning of this frame that you must accept in order for the rest of it to make any sense. And here's what it is. The frame today is called Christian behavior. It's number 22. And the first part of it says these words. We are called to be a godly people. Now it's going to go on from there, and it's going to say a lot of things after that, but you must understand your perception of what comes after those words will be very closely linked to whether or not you accept this premise as true, that we are called to be godly people. Do you accept this as theory? Do you accept this as reality? Because you see, there's a trap that we too often have fallen into whenever we initiate the discussion of Christian behavior. And that trap is called, what must I do to be saved? But it's the wrong question to ask. And it's the wrong premise for why we would be godly people. It's not what must I do to be saved. Rather, it is how can I honor God with my life. But let's take a second on this trap here, this what must I do trap, because there's two groups in the church that fall into this trap. There's the maximizers and there's the minimizers. But they're both caught in the same trap. The maximizer has this long list of what they must do to be saved. And they are working at it and striving at it. And they are miserable in their Christian experience. Because no matter how hard they try, they're never good enough. That's the maximizer. But there's the minimizer also who says, you're so stupid, trying so hard. I don't have to do any of that stuff in order to be saved. Here's the problem. They're both fixated on what you have to do to be saved. So the minimizer is over here saying, just tell me the bare minimum of what I have to do to be saved. But it's the same, same trap. And the maximizer is saying, no, i got to do all of this. But both of these positions, we talked about this when we did the Ten Commandments series a few years ago, both of these positions miss the point. It's not about all that I have to do or what I can get away with. It's am I living a love-based life that is seeking to follow after the example Jesus has set for me? Or is my only reason for participation in church in any of this simply that I don't want to be lost? Now, I will accept I don't want to be lost as a starting point. But if that's as far as you get, you have never matured in the faith. 
You've never grown up. When you can honestly answer the question, am I a believer that is love-based and live according to that, or do I just not want to be lost? When you can honestly answer that question, you then will be ready for today's frame. The frame entitled Christian Behavior. Now, I keep calling this a frame. What am I talking about? Well, doctrines are like frames. The fundamental beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, there's 28 of them, and we've been talking about different ones, and we've suggested to you that these beliefs, while powerful in and of themselves, are not the picture. They're the frame. The picture is Jesus. And I want to suggest, while I'm saying this, I want to suggest to you that today's frame is a very important frame, Christian behavior. Very important frame. And one of the primary reasons is because it keeps those of us who claim to follow after Jesus from completely confusing unbelievers. Nothing confuses unbelievers more than professed Christians who live anything but like a Christian says they should live. If we are not honest in this frame where we become the frame, the picture of Jesus gets pretty distorted, doesn't it? When we're greedy and selfish and immoral and profane, it reflects on people's perception of Jesus. So that's one of the reasons this frame is very important. Another reason is because it makes us tolerable to live with. I don't like being around people who don't have a Christian spirit, especially when they're in the church. We should have that loving Christian spirit in our heart. And it makes us the kind of people that others want to be around. The third thing this frame can do for us is save us from wasting our lives. God's given you this life. What will you do with it? So we're talking today about fundamental belief number 22, Christian behavior. If you went to the website of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and clicked on the title that said beliefs and found the PDF of the 28 fundamental beliefs and went down to number 22, here are the words you would find. We are called to be a godly people who think feel and act in harmony with biblical principles in all aspects of personal and social life. For the Spirit to recreate in us the character of our Lord, we involve ourselves only in those things that will produce Christian purity, health, and joy in our lives. This means that our amusement and entertainment should meet the highest standards of Christian taste and beauty. While recognizing cultural differences, our dress is to be simple, modest, and neat, befitting those whose true beauty does not consist of outward adornment, but in the imperishable ornament of a gentle and quiet spirit. It also means that because our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit, we are to care for them intelligently. 
Along with adequate exercise and rest, we are to adopt the most healthful diet possible and abstain from the unclean foods identified in the scriptures. Since alcoholic beverages, tobacco, and the irresponsible use of drugs and narcotics are harmful to our bodies, we are to abstain from them as well. Instead, we are to engage in whatever brings our thoughts and bodies into the discipline of Christ, who desires our wholesomeness, joy, and goodness. Now, do you see how important it is to get the initial premise right? Otherwise, it just becomes a list of, well, why are they putting all those rules on me? I like the way it says we want to live in harmony with biblical principles in our personal life and in our social life. Not this dual existence thing where I'm one way over here and I'm another way over here. No, healthy living means that I'm the same person wherever I am. This is a very practical frame. This is a very direct frame, and this frame is all about choices. Remember, we did a series a couple years ago on creation health, and the first C in that is about choices. This frame is all about the choices we make in how we live our lives. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. If these are the ways you want to be, you haven't understood the kingdom. If what you want more than being a part of the kingdom is to be immoral, you haven't chosen the kingdom. This frame talks about a lot of things. It talks about amusements and entertainments. It talks about dress, the importance of internal beauty over external show. It talks about how we need to care for our bodies. And as I was reading through it and pondering it this week, I said to Alicia earlier in the week, I said, this isn't... This isn't a sermon, this is a series. Because there's so much here that we need to think about. And the next day I got a text from Pastor Bernie who had to do the same, the same doctrine the previous service. And he texted me and said, this isn't a sermon, this is a series. I said, I feel your pain, brother. How we care about our bodies. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. 
Therefore, honor God with your bodies. What was the price paid for you? It's what this table is all about, isn't it? The death of Jesus Christ was the price paid for you. What's that worth? Is that a good enough reason for us to care about our bodies? You know how life is and how priorities in life are and how crazy it gets and how you know those things you ought to do and you often talk about them. Yeah, we really ought to do that. That's a great idea. We should do that. Every now and then things happen in your life that give you that rearrangement that you need in, our, in your life. Alicia and I have been talking for years about how we really should... Uh, we really should get a little exercise and we really should spend a little more time together and we both are totally in agreement with that. But you know, it's so hard to make it happen. But then a little thing like a diagnosis comes along and all of a sudden we, we're finding some time to spend together. And we've been out for the last two and a half weeks walking every morning around our little circle. If you live anywhere close to us, you're getting used to seeing us. Three miles, three times around. Never had time for that before. No, never made priority. Exercise, rest. Just, just go to bed. Just stop, go to bed. Try again tomorrow. Diet. You know, sometimes in the past we've made a pretty big deal on this issue, and, and this fundamental belief specifically mentions avoiding unclean meats as defined in the Bible. And, and there have been different theological discussions and so forth, and some who have, who have determined to take a position to suggest that, well, maybe we push that point a little too far. And, okay, I'm going to grant you this. I don't think the diet issue rises all the way to the level of the final determiner of whether or not you get into heaven. But let me also say this. Is it all right for God to ask of us something just because it's good for us? Or can He only ask of us things that we better do it and we, or else we won't be saved? Is it okay for us to make a decision just because it's wise? rather than because we're afraid we'd be lost if we didn't. And especially in a day where science has caught up with what the Lord has revealed to us in the area of diet. Okay, fine. Be free to do what you want. But instead, why not be smart and healthy? Doesn't that make more sense for God's people? And is it okay for God to ask things of me? that he might not require of someone else? Yeah, I think it is. The fact that you can actually identify a geographic location in America where people live longer just because they have a weird diet. Yeah, God was good to tell us these things. And we'd be wise to do them, 
harmful substances. Okay, maybe you can make your Bible case as well, related to things like alcohol and stuff like that. Okay, I don't want to get in a big theological argument with you, but I will tell you this. Nobody who never took a first drink ever became an alcoholic. Right? No matter what you're predisposed to, nobody who never smoked became a smoker and couldn't quit. It's called wisdom. It's called choosing the best. Ephesians 5, verse 15, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It kind of looks to me that if we've really pressed into this, we're not going to have time for that other stuff in our lives. And in fact, it's going to be a distraction that takes us away from where we want to be. But in order for this to happen for us, in order for us to be able to make good decisions, we're going to have to be willing to submit ourselves to God's will for our lives. Are you the kind of person that can do that? Or are you one of those people who will never let anyone, God included, tell you how to live your life? Kind of sounds noble when we say it, but kind of sounds stupid when we do it, doesn't it? If you never learn from anything, that's not how Jesus was. Philippians 2, verse 5, in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. What does a servant do? A servant does what it's asked, right? By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death according to the Father's will. He submitted himself even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So if we wanted to be like that, what, what could help guide us to live that way? Well, Philippians 4.8 is a good place to start. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, 
whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Are you ever troubled by your mind? Things that you have exposed yourself to at another time, another place, come rushing into your mind when you don't want them? It happens to all of us, and it's the result of our carelessness when we allow things to get in that we really don't want in there. In those moments of weakness, in those moments where we're not wise, we allow things in. And what invariably happens over time is at the worst possible time, there they come back into our minds, distracting us. What I want to tell you is the spring can become clear again, okay? Every now and then things happen to us in the world and it pollutes the spring, but it can become clear again, but it takes time. And every time we go back to that place that harms the spring, we go back into that process again. And we don't notice it at first because it doesn't really creep in there constantly. It's not till a little while later and we suddenly find we've lost control of a part of our mental process. We don't want to live like that. So what are we going to do? Well, I want you to remember, there is a grace that saves us, but there is also a grace for living. And we need both. <coughs> Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Now catch this. It teaches us to say no. Can you say no? Freedom is not saying yes to everything. Freedom is the ability to say no whenever it's not good for you. I'm not free because I do anything I want. I'm free because I'm smart about what I do. This grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled. Did you know you can be self-controlled? To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. You don't have to wait. You can live a godly life now. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is right. If you wanted a short little slogan for what Christian behavior should be, it's eager to do what is right. Not eager to do what's wrong, eager to do what's right. Well, how, how are we ever going to be like that? How will we ever be able to live truly Christian lives? Well, here again, we've been talking about the frame. 
Here again comes the picture of Jesus. We focus there. For this is how we do it. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. The mystery, what is it? To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What is it? Which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. That's the picture. In the frame of your life is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature to Christ. Now, I love this verse. To this end, I strenuously contend... With all the energy, Christ so powerfully works in me. So if you want to live a godly life, you will have to strenuously contend. But the energy that enables you will come from Christ who works powerfully within you. And that's what this table's about. That's what this service is about. That's what this service so perfectly illustrates. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Because we don't just take the emblems and set them on the table and look at them and talk about them, do we? No, what do we do with the bread? We take it, we eat it, and it becomes part of us. Christ in you. What do we do with the cup? We drink the cup by faith, believing that in it is the forgiveness of sins. And it becomes a part of us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We will in a moment be receiving the emblems of the bread which represents the body of Jesus and the cup which represents His shed blood for us. The deacons will come in a minute and will pass these emblems out to you. We practice an open communion in the Adventist church. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, then you are invited today to participate. When you receive your emblems, the bread and the cup, please hang on to them. We will partake of them together after everyone has been served. In a moment, I will read the passage from Paul that explains this service to us. And then I will kneel up here and pray God's blessing on the bread and the cup. You can remain seated. But now let us prepare our hearts and our minds to enter into this service where we participate in proclaiming the death of our Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. 
The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, we come to you today in the name of the Lord Jesus to participate in this service that commemorates the death of our Lord Jesus for us. Though he was with you in glory, he set it aside to come and be with us in despair that he might break the strength of the enemy who binds us all. He overcame in this life where we have failed. And by His grace, our, fin- our sins are forgiven. And by His grace, we're released, given back the ability to choose. Lord, in Your Word, You've shared with us ways that we can honor You with our lives. But we cannot do it without Your strength and energy within us. We confess that now and we turn with our eyes of faith to the table that is set before us. Lord, as we receive these emblems today, May we also receive within us power for Christian living. Power to be godly people. We thank you for your grace that saves. But today we're also asking for the grace that delivers. Lord, let your Spirit's blessing be upon the bread and upon the cup as we partake in this act of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Scripture says, Jesus took bread, and when he had broken it, said, this is my body. Particularly today, with our minds focused on the idea of Christ in us, the hope of glory, let us receive this emblem in faith. Believing that all Jesus said he can do, he will do in our lives. By faith, take and eat all of it. And the sin that so often ties us down and that we can't break free from, this cup is given for the forgiveness of sins. And the power of the blood of Jesus is given to release us that we might be free again by His grace. So if this day you need to receive forgiveness and release, or if nothing more than just out of joy for what you've known, 
Take this cup, which represents the blood of Jesus, and drink all of it. It is, just, it is more than just an act of remembrance that we do. It is also a prophetic act that we engage in together. For Scripture says, Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. One day we will enjoy this meal with our Lord. And with those we have loved who have gone before, and we will enjoy this meal free from disease, free from the stiffness that comes with age, free from sorrow, free from separation. Today we receive it by faith. Tomorrow we go out and live godly lives for the Lord Jesus Christ that we might build up his kingdom. And who knows, maybe the day after that, Jesus comes again. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it is now with a joyful heart that we have received once again these emblems that remind us of the death of Jesus for us, remind us of how we need the life of Jesus in us, and proclaim our shared faith that Jesus will come again. Lord, let your blessing be in us. Let your spirit be strong in our lives. May we go forth from here, godly people. And when we fall down again, help us to get up and try again. And when we fall again, help us to get up and try again. Because the falls are not about being lost. It's about us continually, continually seeking to mature in this faith and to become godly people. I pray that we will not lose sight of that goal and that our weakness in failing, we will not equate with your inability, but rather we will always remember that Christ in us is the hope of glory. And all we have to do is get up and try again and try again, and try again, and one day, deliverance will come. May we be faithful to strenuously work in the power that is in us through Jesus Christ. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Amen.